work a little bit so I can see. So, um, so last Wednesday was over the women also. Uh, some pretty good points um, from uh, being that godly figure in your child's life from, from birth to even when they move out. So how important it is for that godly role model that parents are supposed to be for their kids, how much of a difference it makes on your kids. And we got some people here with us tonight that I know do a fabulous, fabulous job with their kids. So tonight, we're going to, like Pastor said, continue on with the women some more. Next week will be a little easier for me because it'll be a subject I can relate to. And my wife's not here, so she can't put her motherly two cents in. <laughs> so, she will know. She will know. Yep. So, in chapter two, we studied five women um, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, and <clears throat> what made them women of hope. So, tonight, we're going to look at some more women of the Bible. And what made them great women of the word. So on page 207, uh, the verse from Titus 2, 3, and 5. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient in their own, to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Amen. Amen. And then she goes in and she talks about, now remember these two chapters, 12 and 13, were written by the author's wife. So she goes into talking about how as a child, an unsaved child, uh, she says, I simply accepted that whatever would be, would be. I became a rebellious, independent, strong-willed, daring, sinful young woman. I marked that out and put man. Yet in God's mercy, Christ drew me up out of the miry pit. And the answer to question number one, it was at the age of 21, and he set my feet firmly upon the rock, and he graciously forgave me of my sins and washed me white as snow. How many of us, man or woman, can relate to that tonight? The grace of God is sufficient. So, here it lists the seven women that we're going to talk about tonight. So, let's start. With, uh, how, how do you pronounce that? I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I know. With, no, Joe, uh. Jochebed? J-O-C-H-E-B-E-D? Jochebed? Okay. Jochebed? Okay. Thank you. Um, so we look at Hebrews 11.23, and this is question number two. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents 
because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So what chapter in the Bible is considered a faith chapter? Hebrews. Hebrews 11. So let's look at Exodus 2, 1 through 10, and get a look at Moses' mother. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of burl rushes for him, uh, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, you know who his sister is? Yes. Stood, at, stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Let's pay attention to what this, how this plays out. It's really amazing how God works. Then the Pharaoh of the daughter of Pharaoh came down to battle to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So he called, she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Very, very awesome how God worked that out. And then we look at Numbers 26:59. The name of Abram's, Am, Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. So that was Moses' mother, the first woman that we come to tonight. And she was a mighty woman in portraying uh, God to her children. That this woman, she didn't fear Pharaoh, but she feared God more. And the story that she gives of her friend Joy, on page 210 in my book, says, Joy lived in, in a communist land for 43 years, serving in cold, damp, unfriendly Germany, often without hot water and little heat. No relatives, few friends, and only the Christians that they led to the Lord. Joy cheerfully stretched out what food she had to prepare dinner to feed guests, listened to one of her six children's homework re recitations, encouraged her husband, and then instructed me as a young wife and mother. Did you catch that? A woman who has nothing 
in the area that is hostile to them still takes time to encourage her husband, homework with her kids, put dinner on the table, and instruct a young wife and mother how to be in God. Pretty remarkable. Last week we talked a little bit about time and how Satan likes to use busyness and time against us. A lot of times we think we're doing good, we're working for God. We think we're doing good works, we're staying busy, we're doing God stuff. But in the end, we're not getting anything accomplished. We're just running in circles. Satan's very good at taking something that you think you've been blessed with and turn it into a distraction. So we take points from these women and from these stories of ways to try to model ourselves. So then we move from her into Elizabeth, a righteous mother whose autumn years God blessed. So Elizabeth, which her name means God is my oath, Elizabeth was privileged to be the first woman to confess Jesus coming in the flesh and to experience the glory of his presence as no one ever had before. In a beautiful way, through the birth of her son John, God made the latter years of this righteous woman the most precious of all. And that's question number three. So then if we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were born, both, they were both well advanced in years. So Elizabeth and her husband, which you know her husband was muted because he didn't believe the words of Gabriel, that his wife was going to have a baby. So we find out in, in verse 7 that they're of advanced years. And then we go to Luke 1.13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verse 24. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, and I didn't put 25 in there, so we'll go on to uh, 40, 40 and 41. So Mary entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 44. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Amen. So Elizabeth got to experience something first and foremost that a lot of other mothers have not, and that was the glory of God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. To birth a child that was going to have such an impact and significance as John the Baptist. Her story kind of intertwines a little bit with Mary's, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But to be blessed by God in such a way, for their children to have such an impact upon the world, and the outcomes that both their children had. And as a mother, at least 
physically, I'm not a mother, but as a father, the joy you have for your kids and then the trials that they go through that you go through with them and then for something tragedy to befell, befell them in their, in the, at the end of their life is a roller coaster for a parent, gut-wrenching. But the outcomes that these two women's children had upon the world, upon us still today, it makes you wonder what they, what was going through their minds. <clears throat> so, now, to Mary on page 213. So, Mary has been honored more than any other woman in history. God chose her to be the physical vessel to bring forth the Messiah into the world. She was given the honor of nurturing Jesus, helping to raise him, and being one of his earthly guardians until manhood. Mary knew both great sorrow and great joy. In her, in her poverty, she possessed the truest of riches. Having no earthly title, she was joined to a royal line. Let's look at John 1, 9 through 13. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the royal line that it talks about right here. A girl, young girl, who was ashamed because she was betrothed to Joseph, but got pregnant out of wedlock, which in those days was a big offense. Scared out of her mind. And during all of this, she's being brought into the royal line. The kingdom of Jesus. So then we look at Titus 3.7. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Romans 8.17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Is it nice to know that we've been adopted into the kingdom? The one and only everlasting kingdom. So her faith, obedience, and quietness of heart are an expression of inward beauty that is well-pleasing to God. Mary is exalted among women because of her profound humility and deep sense of personal unworthiness. She never claimed perfection or boasted of self-righteousness. Her response to God's chosen path for her life is a praise song. The song of Mary. Which is question number four. So she openly and fully embraced and accepted 
what God had called her to do. So much to the fact that she rejoiced and sang a song about the situation. It says, Mary trusted God and humbly sang praises to her God, which is in Luke 1, 46 through 55, which we don't have to read. But it's a beautiful song. And then we turn over to page. Her song? I'm not sure. You know? No? It's when you mentioned Catholic, it made me think of Mary as as blessed as she was, favored by the Lord to fulfill the role that God had for her to birth Jesus into this world, and now how religions have taken and they call her Queen Mary, Queen of Heaven, that they worship her instead of her son. Yes, and it, it's it's making a starting to make a comeback again. Yeah. Yep, it's uh, it was all about Jesus, but we somehow missed Jesus. And <laughs> Amen. Amen. So on page two sixteen, This is a. This was. A, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but her friend had cancer, and it's a, it's a wonderful. If you want to read it, uh, about the strength that they found through Jesus in all of this. But on the end of it, it says, "The search for true rest is ended. Once and for all, in coming to Christ, man or woman, does life weigh heavily upon you? Are you hurting? Are you tired of trying to please man? Are you tired of struggling to fix a situation? Have you lost hope?" You always have a place to go for rest. Better yet, you have a person to go to in Jesus Christ. Through the journey of, of breast cancer, her, her family learned to depend upon God first and foremost. Learning to wait on the Lord with confident expectation is the best thing that they did as a family. That was just a... That was, didn't really have anything to do with tonight, but it was just a nice story that she put in there. I just wanted to share it. So then we move on to Anna on page 217. A widow devoted to God. So in Luke 2, 36-38, it says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penile of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in the instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna means favor or grace. A woman who was widowed at a young, a very young age, 
married seven years, and she had been widowed for 84. Most of her life, she had been a widow. But her diligence and faith never wavered from God. She spent decades of her life devoted to the Lord, quietly bearing the sweet fragrance of God's presence. Though never in the spotlight, such was the honor of her life that thousands of mothers have named their daughters after her. Her greatest privilege was to be the one who would herald the coming of the Messiah to Jerusalem. For one brief moment, her eyes looked upon the face of Jesus, for whom she had waited her whole life. Question number five. Anna became the first woman missionary to proclaim the good news. It's amazing when you read through the Old Testament, just through the Bible alone, and you see the way God uses people. Man or woman, how they've had, whether they knew it at the beginning or not, but you can see later they had a purpose and a plan from the beginning to the end. So Anna shows us something that, and I know this chapter is mainly pointing towards women, but men also, that unwavered faith and dedication to God. Something that we all, I think, strive for. Uh, a lot of times we fall short. A lot of times life gets in the way. Or Satan, like, uh, has been the focus this week. Had lunch with pastor today, and... I know we have, and I, Pam and Terry, I think, there's been a lot of people that's been stomping on Satan's head this week. A lot of people have been, been under attack. But an example that we can take from someone like Anna is that even though the attacks come, even though life didn't work out quite the way you wanted it, even though things aren't going quite the way you planned, you don't ever waver from God. So then we go into the lovely sisters, Mary and Martha. It says, sisters with open hearts in an open home. If Mary and Martha were living today, they would fit right into most churches' women's ministries. Although Martha was corrected by Jesus in Luke 10, 41, and Mary was condemned for choosing the better part, not condemned, commended, Martha was a woman of action with the heart of a servant. Mary stands as our example of a woman who valued being in the presence of Jesus and chose that, that precious opportunity as her highest priority. So, let's discuss this. So you see Mary and Martha, one who was more concerned about making a welcome welcome environment and the other was not focused on things but on the presence of Jesus now inherently was there anything wrong with wanting to be prepared drink food being a, a, a host to those that were in your house so there's two different views, two different ways of looking at it. But both are perfect examples of what I think we all strive for. And it doesn't have to necessarily be women in particular. 
but it's not only our physical house that we live in, it's our house house. We want to have our house in order, ready, because it's a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We want it to be orderly, clean, we want it to be bright, full of life, not weighed down by burdens and sins and distractions and things of the world. And at the same time, we relish in our time with Jesus. So we not only try to keep our, our bodies in good, tip-top shape, but we try to keep our spiritual walk with Christ ever, ever being in his presence. Martha worked willingly with her hands, giving attention to details, providing the very best that she could. Martha devoted herself to the needs of her guests. Mary and Martha were, were used to create warm hospitality from which guests left feeling both ministered to and refreshed. Even Jesus found Mary and Martha's home to be a welcome, welcoming haven of warmth and fellowship. And it was through his visits that Martha learned of the rest and worship that her spirit lacked. Uh, Pam and Terry have been talking about, it's, I hope it's okay if I share this, I think you've shared it already, about opening up your house to teachings. Yes. That's another example of this. They know they follow the Lord. And they know their house is filled with spirit. And they want to welcome people and invite people into that to further them, to grow them, that they may also be full of the Spirit and full of God's Word. Kind of like a church. If a church is right, if it's a biblical church, the Holy Spirit rests in that church and rests with the people of that church. And when you come in, it's an inviting, it's a wooing of the Holy Spirit. You want to be here, get filled with the Spirit, get filled with the Word. Because you said, uh, you know, you asked a question, and it's funny because Pam's been talking about Martha and Mary a lot. <laughs> She's been the Martha here lately. But the, the point I really want to hammer home is there, there was nothing wrong. Martha was a godly woman. Uh, you know, we in life we have jobs, we have work, and we can be hard workers and stuff, you know, and that's all great. Those are godly values. But Jesus said there's... Mary chose the better thing. You know, there's, there's something better than just seeking excellence in work and hospitality and, you know, being an upstanding member of society or whatever it may be. There's something better, and that's always discipling at the feet of Jesus. That's the better thing. And that's what sets the two people apart. I mean, the, the, the church is full of good folks. But many of them are tangled up in a lot of stuff, and it, it bewilders them, and it drags them down, it bogs them down, and they have very little victory in their life. You know, what sets the other person apart is one who's discipling at the feet of Jesus and will not be distracted. Wonderful point, Brother Terry, and you're exactly right. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong, and, and the Bible calls us. I'm going to go to, to men here, but the Bible calls men to take care of their household, 
said you're not really worth a crumb if you can't even take care of your family. But the same thing goes for that too, like you just said. If you put the world, the dollar, your job, and your career above your discipling before Jesus, then you're, you're, you're missing something. Yep. And we've talked about it before that sometimes to wholeheartedly follow Christ means you have to sacrifice a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can choose Christ or you can choose more of the world. And I think most of us here, we choose more Christ. And that's what Wednesday nights are for, and that's what Tuesday night classes are for, to get us even more and more filled with the word and plugged into Christ. So question number six comes from Proverbs, which we talked about in chapter two. And it's, a, it's beautiful to read Proverbs 31 uh, about a biblical description of, of women, and also in Titus. Uh, not Titus, Timothy. But Proverbs 31, 26 through 27. It says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her, on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, my wife's not here, so I can pick on her. But I know, I know growing up with this lady here, and being married to my wonderful wife, she she makes me. She's never not doing something. I mean, never. I mean, I think I'm a giving person. I you know I go out of my way to help others. You know, I mean, somebody calls me, they need something, I'll go do it. But she she's like that, but different because hers is focused upon the house. Hers is always. She's, she never sits down. You know, she doesn't, if she's not cooking, it's cleaning. If it's not doing something for herself or for the house, then it's just doing something for me, to whether it's encouraging me or helping me with study or, or just anything. I mean, and that's a lot of what Proverbs talks about here. And one thing is the idleness. Now, one thing that we all can work on is that when you open your mouth, you open it with wisdom. And that can be a very hard thing to do. Not that you, you lack wisdom, but a lot of times in the situation, we tend to open our mouths and speak something out of the flesh instead of out of the spirit. And then it says on her tongue is the law of kindness. And I think that comes from the Holy Spirit. I think the more spirit you have in you, the easier it is to find kindness for others, for situations. Brother Juan was over at the house yesterday. Yeah. And there's a situation <laughs> that I'm having, and Brother Juan knows all about it. And when he when he left, he said, uh, what did you say? He said, I ain't going to be mad if you pick him up and throw him. <laughs> I won't go into the whole situation, but it, it's a... Uh, is, life is, is frustrating. It, it can be extremely frustrating sometimes, especially when Satan is, is using those around you to, to try and, and poke at you. But uh, even in situations where, where 
your tongue wants to go off in an unpleasant way, the Holy Spirit can still let you speak kindness out of your mouth. <clears throat> and then, what? Test? Yes. It's been a test. It's been a test. Um, and then how she watches over her household. Which that plays both parts, man and woman. Man is the guardian. He's the protector. He's the provider. But a woman watches over a household in a different way in that she maintains the household. She upkeeps the household. She, 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 does, she takes care of the kids. She takes care of raising. She does so much more things than what the man does. To expound more upon the, not going to details about the situation at hand, but the fact that you, when we were talking, you was like, man, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And before you actually made that, what I said, public, um, it was the fact that when we were talking about it, he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was already thinking about it as you were talking. I was like, he just spoke what he needs to do when it comes time to approach that situation tonight. Whenever it comes time to approach the individual, approach it with wisdom. Because that's what, that's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to, every time that he can try to get in a situation, he wants to, he say he's going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And he comes in every form and every facet to in a situation where he know that you may be weak or you may be frustrated. And he's just going to pounce on that thing to, to, to build up anger. And then a lot of times what happens is, is after you don't speak with wisdom and then you look back at the situation, then you have resent and regret from how you handled it because you're like, I got all upset and I got all mad because I let my anger and my frustration get ahead of my wisdom. Then when you sit down, then wisdom comes because you're like, that's where you got to go back to the point. It's like, I got to talk to the person. I got to apologize. But had I never said all this, an apology wouldn't be needed. So that's why, and that's what the word is. The word is that comforter and that, and that sometimes it's that to, to keep you from saying certain things. Just because you can say it and just because it might need to be said doesn't mean that you have to say it. And that's where that word is like, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger person, even though this person was wrong, and this person deserves everything that I, I was about to give them. I'm going to give them grace, and I'm going to give them mercy, so that when I get into a situation, and I deserve justice, that whoever it is, whether it's another person or God, that I get grace, and I get mercy. Because sometimes when I'm driving on the road, I get so mad at somebody for doing something wrong. And then every once in a while, I may not see something or um, I, or misjudge something, and I do something wrong. And I look at the person, I'm like, I'm sorry. I know I did wrong. I was whether my mind wasn't focused, or whether I was thinking about something else, or whether it was just fatigue. So when I see somebody make a mistake, I'm like, you know what? It's okay. You made a mistake. Let's just keep. Nobody got hurt. Nobody. But just, I'm giving you grace because I needed grace yesterday. Good word. Thank you. <laughs>
I, I repented right there because that's what I do. I get on the road and, and somebody does something stupid and I'm like, you idiot, you know? And I really was convicted by that, you know? And of course, this is stuff, I've known this for years, but when I heard it coming out of a message, you know, an anointed message, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, I'm like, Lord, I repent. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, because Jesus died for that person I'm calling an idiot, and he's very valuable, you know, to Jesus. And so, yeah, it just, I, I had to repent, man, and, and I'm going to really, I told the Lord from now on, please, I'm going to try to curb my tongue, but help me. Amen. Help me, because, you know, when I see that person doing that thing, it just gets under my skin so bad, I don't know why. Absolutely right. And it never fails to blow my to just blow my mind that uh, we get so wrapped up in our flesh, and such little things just set us off, blow our top. Right. Right. But then we think about how many times a day that God shows us grace and mercy. Without question, without holding anything against us, without a mistake that we made, without anything. It's just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And I didn't even do anything wrong. What are you supposed to be on for? You did it. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, before we move into the last little bit here, though, I did want to open it up because we have some very godly women here with us. Um, I know Pastor's bragged on Kara several times. Terry's bragged on Pam a whole bunch of times. Uh, Brother Juan with Bianca. <laughs> Angie, the women here, is there something that y'all can elaborate on that I've missed as, as coming from this perspective of, of what these women, the examples these women, actually mean to a mother? Is there something from your perspective as a woman that can further elaborate on the examples these women have set, what it means in your life as a mother, as a, as a woman, as a wife? Pick up some ingredients so I could bless somebody, you know, that's been sick with some good food and... Um, tried to start my car and it didn't start and I had kind of a bad weekend anyway because our heat and air or our air conditioner went out but there are good people out there I want to say this because my neighbor was just getting off of work and he came in and tried to you know help Joe learn about this box we have that uh, we haven't been using I got him as a gift it's a, it's a portable charger 
thing. You can plug your phones into it and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, you know, there's one example. The neighbor came over. He was hot, ready to be at home, and he came over to help us out on my car. We got it started. I went to Walmart, went out. I didn't run it long enough, and it was, you know, um, dead again. And so this lady next to me, I tapped on her window, and she got out. And uh, at first it scared her, but she got out, and she was trying to help me get my car uh, hood up and see where my battery was located and all this. And it was obviously really neat. It was looks really old and corroded and everything. And Joe had just got off work, so he finally made it up there, and we ended up over at AutoZone. Before it was over, we I had a guy jumping me, you know, with his cables, an older lady that could barely walk, you know, trying to look at my, uh, where my battery was and get my hood open, and I had the neighbor help before that, then we get to, to AutoZone, and the young man tells me that the battery was bulging so bad that it was going to explode all over my, uh, you know, electronics, the brain, everything of my car. And the kid, I started talking about our church to him and to the lady that was, you know, disabled and gave them cards. And I told him about everyone here, all of you, and how lovely, loving you are and how it's a family. And that if I spend any time away from you, you know, then it's, I miss you terribly. And it's true. <laughs> and, and I'm just looking, I'm just, I just want you to know that even though we're, you know, there are those jerks out there that are flipping you off and cutting you off and everything, you know, it's an opportunity to pray for them because whenever you finally do get a chance to be up, you know, with them somewhere, you, you got this church to bring them back to, you know, and that, so that's what I'm, it's just Anna sitting there fasting and praying. She wasn't, probably doing that totally for her own benefit you know she was probably intercessor and uh, my mom did that all my life I mean I would be in another state and I could feel so you know about mothers and their children and a lot of times it brought conviction on me I mean I might have been doing something I shouldn't have been doing because I had some rebellious years in college and um, i personally prayed for my children and you know I know some really st strong spirits strongholds that were trying to divide the family uh, have left we have that authority you know there's just so much that I could testify about but today I'm just I'm just amazed at the timing you know because all I wanted to do was go get that stuff and go back home and get up here because I want to be at church you know and so it was a perfect timing. I rolled up in here at 7 o'clock straight up. I wasn't even late, and God gave me all this help with all these wonderful people. Amen, Angie. Yes. I wanted to follow up with what she said about uh, how important it is that we're praying for our children and then all and like I consider all of y'all my family so I pray for all of you guys but you know I had a great grim I was abused as a child horribly by my dad my mom was my brother and sister so it was a horrible environment and my joy was going to my great grandma's house and she was a Quaker woman she was a very devout woman of God 
And I had her witness of seeing her. She was a big woman. And I'd see her get up early in the morning and get on her knees and pray. And every day we would read the Bible together and we would sing hymns out of a hymnal. And she taught me how to pray. She gave me a, a book on Corey Timboon when I was 12 that was life-changing for me. So, I mean, if it wouldn't have been for her, I, I think I would have been dead by now because of how I was brought up. But I, And I saw her pray for her grandsons who went to Vietnam. That's telling how old I am. I remember as a child them leaving for Vietnam, and she said, come here, we need to pray that Butch and Larry come back. And they came back without a scar, you know. And so, and, and then as time has gone by, I've seen her prayers touch not only my life but my grandchildren's life. Um, for instance, my granddaughter, I mean my daughter-in-law, which is my daughter. Uh, I have the most, I had to say, I have the most wonderful daughter-in-law in the whole world. And, and I credit that a lot to my grandma's prayers, too, because she prayed for her grandchildren and the grandchildren that she would never know. And so now my granddaughters, which is, would be her great-great-great-granddaughters, are being raised by a godly woman. They're brought to church. They do devotions every night. So it's just so important. And, and so every day, that's what I do. I pray every day. Lord, I pray for my grandchildren and my grandchildren to come should you tarry, that what, not one be lost, not one be na- maimed, that every bondage is destroyed, that every addiction, you know. And I know there's going to be trials, but we have to believe in that prayer. And as our role, I take my role in the church as an elder now, very important in, in being a mentor to the younger women and stuff like that. I take it very important. But the most important thing as a woman in our life has to be our our kids and our our family and carrying that on. And then our church family too, which by the way, Jonathan asked me if I would be his grandmother. I mean not Jonathan, Patrick. So now I'm Patrick's grandma. <laughs> yeah, but, but that that's so important, young ladies. Pray for your kids and your grandkids. Yeah, it lasts for generations. And start praying already. If you, like Bianchi, y'all have young sons, pray now. Lord, thank you that you're going to bring godly women into their life. And you'll see that come to fruition. It's amazing because I'm 60 now. And what I've seen God God do in, like, pastor's mother made a huge impact on my life and I'm so thankful for her so anyway yeah. awesome awesome thank you so much for that Pam that's it well she ended talking about pastor's mother and that's my grandma if y'all don't know I did not really have a mother very much of my life growing up but I had an amazing grandmother and her prayers, like Pam said, are still protecting me and my children to this day. I would not be here without her. But what I took this to say was that from that, as I was growing up as a child while she was raising me, she had a really good friend named Debbie. And Debbie used to come to our house and do my grandma's hair. And from that, Debbie went through drugs and alcohol and a cheating husband. And I was probably 8 to 12 during that time. But I got to listen to Grandma and Debbie and what grandma would tell Debbie and the prayers that they would pray 
And that is a lot of the reason that you guys can say some of the things you can say about my prayer and my life for Brian. I watched as a child. I listened. I was there. And even though Grandma died in the middle of all of Brian's stuff, Debbie's still alive. And Debbie and I still talk all the time. And if I ever need anything, we don't talk about anything but Jesus and praying for each other. But she's always there for me, even still now. Like, awesome woman of God. And she credits that to my grandma. So to me, it's kind of like handed down prayers and, and help, you know, along the way. And I hope that I can do that for somebody else once I get there a little more. But just wanted to say, since she ended with my grandma, like, how that affected my life and y'all talk about my faith like came from grandma but you know other things along the way too so thank you both of you for that that's what i was looking for y'all just summed up both of these chapters right there you summed up proverbs you summed up second timothy exactly what pam said about mentoring younger women and about care how she witnessed it growing up and that played an effect later in her life to get her through the situations that, were, that came up in her life. Pam, the same situation, prepared her later for life. It's the importance that we've been trying to, to establish in these chapters, the, the importance that women play in raising their kids and getting on their knees in front of their kids and reading scriptures to their kids from the time they're in the crib or even in the womb to after they leave the house to go to college. It's, it's a role that never stops. It's such an important role that is so overlooked. It's hardly talked about in the churches. It's, it's not taught much. It, 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 husbands, uh, a lot of men that go to church, for one, don't know how to be a man. And second of all, they have no idea what the role of their wife is supposed to be. And it's sad. It's really sad. But that changes in this church. This church will teach it. And this church has godly examples of what it's supposed to be like and be about. about her grandma and my mom and other uh, Pam's prayers and our prayers there's no expiration date on there there's pr those prayers are still being answered and our prayers are still going to be being answered when uh, you know if we leave before you know the Lord doesn't take us all up together and that's just really encouraging to me it came out of one of my devotionals that we that Joe just picked out new we'd been doing the same Jesus calling I think for 17 years but it was in there and I it just confirmed what I had been feeling and you know hearing in other places that isn't that cool you know I mean it's it's a living prayer that doesn't die with his best friend Jonathan I mean this is a covenant but prayer does the same thing it goes long after we're dead and gone you know if Jesus tarries the prayers we prayed over our children continue God will honor those prayers and 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 yeah uh, when I well I was telling Pam because we were talking about this in my book Living Stones that chapter on the horse gate about spiritual warfare how I mentioned all the shield and not you know the the is all the sword, you know, and the sword is for close hand-to-hand -hand combat, but then prayer is a spear that goes a long distance, and so God just continues to honor those prayers, just like David, long after Jonathan was dead and gone, he's like, is there somebody, any offspring of Jonathan that I can bless 
for the sake of the covenant that I made with him but when he was alive, you know, and he finds Mephibosheth, you know, who is lame and brings him to his palace and treats him like a king's kid, you know, all because of things that were long before ordained and they, God honors those things. So pray, pray, pray for your offspring, for your children. And when we're dead and gone, if Jesus tarries, that, that mantle will just go down to them and just do amazing things. When you guys are talking about the prayers of your grandmas and stuff, and my mom, of course, she was a grandma of a whole bunch of kids, but when she passed away, went through all her Bibles and stuff, and I found all these prayers that she had made for all these people. And her prayer list for these people was probably 20 pages long. And they were just row after row after row of people. Anybody she had ever known or met or worked with or talked to was on that prayer list. And she would go in there and check off the ones that got saved, you know, and put salvation, you know. Well, I found all these things, and I found that she had made all these prayers, but she prayed for all of us kids growing up and my mom was a prayer warrior a lot like this little lady right here and this one right here and this all you ladies I mean my mom did a lot of prayers she did, she was a big she was big about believing God was going to pray and I grew up in a house where my dad would not go to church my dad wanted nothing to do with church but my mom was a rock and she was not going to have her kids grow up and not learn about Jesus so I was hauled to church from when I was a little kid to Sunday school and everything. And when I got a little older, sometimes I wanted to be a little bit rebellious and didn't like the idea that I had to go to church. But one thing my dad did do is make sure we went to church with my mom. But he wouldn't go. And so when my mom passed away, I was so upset with God. And I asked, I said, God, why? Why would you take my mom? My dad's the one that was painting the Mm, you know, but why Why my mom? But when I found all these prayer lists, my dad's name was in there about 20 times, you know, with these prayers. And I know without a doubt, God showed me. Now, this was a while after my mom passed away. The Lord showed me that he took my mom, but my mom would have laid her life down just to see him saved. Well, he came to me like a year or two after my mom passed away and told me that, he wanted to start going to church because I was going to church at the time. And he said, I want to go to church, and I want to, be, I want to see your mom when I leave this earth. I want to be there. <laughs> he ended up getting baptized. He was like 79 when he got baptized in water. And that baptism the other day reminded me so much of that. But we actually have that on video. And it, it's just one of those things you just don't realize how each life affects another life. It's like one of my favorite songs, and I don't know if you all know it, is Thank You by Ray Bolts. And it talks about how they, when they went to heaven, how you've seen this person and said, you were my Sunday school teacher when I was eight and all this stuff. You just don't realize how you affect that little child or your children. You know, what you do in there with Sandra and them, Bianca, is awesome. I mean, that's powerful. Because you're taking those little kids right there, and I know both your kids are sharp. They know their Bible. They know stuff. A lot better than a lot of kids their age. 
But anyway, you take your kid and you teach them the right things when they're young. And it's just like the Bible says, when they are old, they shall not depart from it. And when they get old, they don't depart. They will eventually come back, even if they've gone the wrong path. You know, I took the wrong path. I've been there. I've been on that wrong path. I got off and I wonder where in the world. I was out in the wilderness somewhere, I guess. But God brought me back to the right place. And sometimes it takes a long time, and he really has to work on us to get there. But if we're, if we're, if we're wise enough and understand the word of God and know what God's doing in our lives spiritually, that we can start walking on the path that he's lit before us, that his light shines upon us and guides us and directs us to that path so that we find the purpose that God's created us for. Anyway, I just want to say all you ladies were awesome. I married a beautiful, awesome woman, too. She is just great and spiritually minded and thoughtful about everything. Anyway, that's all I want. Thank you all for sharing. That's exactly, that's everything in a nutshell. That's examples across the board of the importance of what this is talking about, the importance of prayer, the importance of being the light and the example for your kid. Just like Pam said with her grandma, she saw her get on her knees, grandma, right? And great-grandma, and pray. And that puts such an impact and imprint in a child that they follow suit. Like Bob said, you may not follow suit right away. I know I didn't. A lot of most of us haven't, but we came back. We came back to the truth that we knew that was instilled in us by our parents. So, we uh, we're out of time, but um, we could keep. It, yeah, it was awesome. I'm so glad you guys uh, chimed in. That just just summed it up so perfectly. And the, the power of prayer. I think uh, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, Pastor, and tell me to shut up if I am, but. Prayer is something that's going to be taught on here pretty quick. So it's something that I know our church has a lot of prayer warriors, but it's never anything to not go over again, and a lot of other people need to hear. Exactly right. Yes. So important. So important. So um, anybody, any special prayer requests before we close? Bob? Always.